Welcome back to the Literacy Lunch Break. I'm your host, Marjorie Botari. Let's dive into today's episode. We are lucky enough to sit down with Brent Conway, an instructional leader with a passion for effective literacy instruction. We delve into the crucial role assistant superintendents play when shaping curriculum decisions, resource allocation, and policy changes. Join us as we explore Brent Conway's insights on advocating for structured literacy to ensure all students have the skills they need to become readers. Brent, thank you so much for joining us today. I always love the opportunity to chat with you, to learn from you. But before we get started, let's just give our listeners a little background about yourself and your journey in education. Sure. Thanks, Marjorie. Uh, happy to be here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm the assistant superintendent for the Pentucket Regional School District, which is uh, a town, three towns, regional school district uh, north of Boston, um, towards uh, towards the Atlantic Ocean, actually. So, um, and uh, this is my sixth year in Pentucket. Um, Prior to that, I was a principal in the city of Melrose uh, for 12 years, uh, both elementary school, middle school, uh, and I was a classroom teacher, uh, special ed administrator prior to that, too, in a different district, and um, so happy to be here and and, uh, looking forward to to chat with you a little bit more about some of the work that we've been doing, both in Pentucket, some of the work we did before when I was in Melrose, but all around structured literacy and sort of the evolution of sort of how we, we continue to move forward and, and use systems to, to make a lot of that sort of change and make sure that it's it's in place and it's not reliant upon one single thing. So Yes, and I love that you've had that wide range of experience, right, from a classroom teacher, different types of leadership positions. And so really, as we think about the position that you're in now and the change that you can make, what motivated you to move into a position like this to be an instructional instructional leader, allowing you to advocate for this change? Yeah, I so I became a principal in 2007. Um, so it's it's a long time. My hair was not white. <laughs> um and, uh, you know, I think becoming a principal there, taking over a school that had some difficulties with consistency of curriculum and approaches, kids weren't doing well. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, of issues around that. And about 50% of the kids were high needs, uh, Lincoln Elementary School in Melrose. And, um, you know, it was apparent we needed to sort of put some coordinated efforts in. Uh, so, it, you know, data was a big piece of it, just looking at the data and how students were doing. Uh, recognizing that we need to do a better job teaching foundational skills uh, and then at the same time giving kids more opportunities to expand their work with more complex text and uh, doing a lot of that work to, to really advance. It's, it's not a, a one single thing and, and there was no single fix or solution. Uh, fast forward five years ago, six years ago when I came here to Pentucket, um, you know, they, they too needed sort of some coordination around curriculum uh, and, and the systems that go with it from schedules, how we use data and all of that because the students weren't doing as well uh, as they probably should have been, both um, anecdotally, but also from an assessment standpoint. So, um, you know, just working with folks on making those changes little by little. Uh, but having a vision of where it's going and, and recognizing that it's, you know, this isn't just a, a year of professional development. It's not just buying a tool for curriculum. Uh, there's no single solution. It's um, you have to attack it from from all perspectives. I love that you just 
kind of hit that point, right? Because we talk a lot about data and data is absolutely critical. That's what's going to inform our decisions. But we have a lot of data, right? We have a lot of access to data. And so that's that first step. But what do we do with that data and how do we inform those decisions? That I think where that's where it becomes tricky as a leader, as a teacher, right? In in many different positions. So as we think about that data and driving that instruction, you said, you know, it's not a one year, it's not a one year plan, right? So I would love to hear a little bit more about how do you create change? Because I think as a nation, we're we're ready to identify, yes, something needs to change. Like I think most of us are on board saying, yep, we, we can look at those scores. We recognize as a nation, we need to revisit the way we teach literacy, we, the way we teach reading, but how do we start to make those changes? Yeah, I, you know, it's, um, those are big systems changes, right? Um, and, and most, you know, you talk to most anyone in any field, you know, the things need to change and most people answer, oh yes, and, and they've got a list like, oh, but not me. I don't need <laughs> things to change, you know? And that sort of the um, that change needs to happen, but it's not me who needs to change. Um, so that's hard uh, for folks. Yes. Uh, and I use a Brene Brown quote all the time, and she says, uh, "People do not fear change." We use that, right? We say people fear change. People do not fear change; they fear irrelevance. And you know, if all you've ever known for 20 something years or even just five or six years in the field, and this is what you were taught and this is what your colleague showed you and this is the curriculum you had in front of you. And then you're realizing like that this is not according to research and evidence. This is not likely to lead to the outcomes that, you know, we want for kids. Um, that's that's what stands in the way. It's like so everything I've ever known and done is now irrelevant. Yes. Um, and you know, it might feel that way. I don't think that's true. If you work with kids and you're in front of kids every day, there's a lot of relevance to all your experiences. Uh, but it's having the capacity to take a step back and see things from a different perspective. Um, but I think from a leader's perspective, knowing that there is no simple solution here and you have to have some really hard conversations with people about some of the things. People grow very attached to curriculum that they use. They you know, and, and, and anecdotally, they have lots of success stories. There's right. no question. Um, but when we look across the board and you see literacy rates at 50 percent, 40 percent, and then even in higher performing districts might be 65, 70, 75 percent. There's still a lot of kids who we are not getting to. Right. Um, and and it's those are systems issues We're we're only as good as our systems are. And if the system is giving us a 50 percent literacy rate, um, then it's that's the outcome that the system is designed to give. Um, right. So you have to fix the systems. Yeah. And I so much that you said I love. I, I think even just stepping back of, yeah, it's not the change we fear. It's being irrelevant. And I think as a leader coming to your teachers with that perspective versus, you know, we just have to make change. Don't be afraid of change. But understanding, well, this is this is why maybe our teachers are kind of digging in or holding on to that curriculum that they love so much because they feel so connected. And I always say nobody became a teacher because they didn't want to teach kids the skills that they need to be successful. Um, but how can we help them see some shifts or changes that we need to make? And when you take a step outside of that and say, it's not about you, it's about the system. Let's, let's take a look at that system and let's see what we can do. Yeah. Also just, 
what you shared, right? What you're doing with kids, it's not all irrelevant. Maybe we need to look at the system, but the relationships that we create Mm -hmm. with kids, the other parts of our day, teaching is complex, right? We're talking about reading today, but there's a whole lot that goes into having a successful classroom, relationships with students, classroom management, all of those pieces that go into creating an environment where students are able to, to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I mean, when you go to make these changes, you you really you need a full sort of comprehensive plan that considers all of the different things from curriculum instruction, professional development, um, schedules like classroom and and building schedules. So not just what the day looks like for a classroom teacher, what the whole building looks like, because you have to integrate how you're going to use personnel as well. Um, Your assessments. So, you know, if, if you're assessing using you know, assessment methods that are really not predictive of outcomes, you're not going to have the information you need to know whether students are learning or not. And that's all, it's all part of the system. So we've, you know, one of the things I do when I'm helping other districts is we started to use what's called the the Lippitt-Noster Managing Complex Change. Um, So they have a model for managing complex change. And you just referenced, you know, that teaching reading is complex. It sure is. Changing the whole system is even more complex. (laughs) Yes. Right. I mean, who, who knew when it came to schedules that, you know, when the PE teacher was available would dictate when we taught kids to read <laughs> and it would dictate who was available to help kids and all of that. And, and like all of those little pieces and uh, some of those things are, are hard to manage. But those are that's the administrative side. There's a lot there that the administrators can do. I don't go into first grade classrooms and teach. Right. I, that's not my job. They don't want me to do that. <laughs> um and there are our teachers are far more skilled and have much greater capacity to do that than I do. But our job as administrators, whether it's at the central office level or at the building administrator level, is to really uh, hone in on what are the systems we can build to allow our teachers to be the, as successful as they can be with the right curriculum tools and the knowledge that we're giving them. Um, and that's our job. Uh, that's what we need to do as administrators uh, and then make sure we get all those other pieces in place for, for the teachers to use. Uh, but they're in the room every day with the kids. At the right. end of the day, they're the ones that have to deliver that and make those decisions in the moment of, you know, am, am I moving on to the next piece or do I need to continue to work on this with, with this group of students, with this whole class? Do I do this with the whole class or do I do this with a small group? They have to make those decisions every day. We're not there to tell them to do that. Yeah, and I love that because, you know, when we talk about change, you know, at, and we talk about how complex it is and how comprehensive it is and the amount of time that it takes, we can talk, and I say this all the time, yes, we need, you know, we need to be educated, <laughs> right? Let's start there with with our undergrad and our graduate, but like, we and we need strong a curriculum and we need all of these pieces, and but we also need strong leadership. Now, what what that leadership looks like isn't, as you just said, I'm walking into the classroom and I'm teaching the lessons, right? That's the job of the the teacher in the classroom. That's the person who has the relationship, the knowledge. But what your your role really is, is to look at those systems, to look at the tools and the resources that you're using to make sure that's effective. So your teachers can be effective in their instruction. 
that in itself, I think, is a huge job, right? How, how are you? So just maybe walk through some of those pieces. And I know it's a lot, so I don't think we'll get to all of it. But just as you talked about, you know, what assessments are we using? Is that giving us the information we need? So as you're starting to look at the pieces that you put into place, what you're using, what maybe needs to change, what does that process look like? Yeah. Yeah. So from a data perspective, you know, we have some big picture data uh, that we'll look at rates of proficiency, uh, what percentage of students at a grade level are, are meeting the benchmark uh, of what we expect. Um, and, and are we improving over time? Each year is that percentage getting a little higher every year, right? Uh, is it getting higher throughout the year? So are we seeing the annual growth for all students? And are we closing gaps, getting kids to have that catch-up growth? So those are the, sort of the bigger picture things that we might look at administratively. But if I'm a first grade classroom teacher and I've got 22 kids in my classroom, I want to know more about each individual kid's data point, right? Uh, so we use sort of a method that where we assess to the point of breakdown, right? So uh, we're Dibbles 8 district is what we use. Um, we also use some iReady assessments in grades uh, two through up. But, um, you know, so we assess to the point of breakdown where we're really looking for uh, the skills. Now, for instance, there's a, you know, letter naming fluency. Well, naming letters does not make you a reader, right? But we know that if you are able to name letters, it correlates to better spelling and reading and writing, right? Uh, and that you need to be able to do it with some automaticity, being automatic. Those foundational skills are all automatic things. So they're all fluency based. Right. Uh, so using that information and then moving on to nonsense word fluency. Well, reading nonsense words is not reading, it's decoding. Right. But if you can do it, we know you have the, the discrete skills. So we're measuring those discrete skills. If one of them you can't do, we need to figure out why and intervene at that point. Now, it doesn't mean we are teaching you to read nonsense words. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But we're going to use that to measure whether or not you're able to apply the, the skill and understanding of, um, you know, uh, phoneme to grapheme and be able to, to do that. Um, so we assess to the point of breakdown. And then for some kids who really aren't at benchmark, we might have to drill down a little bit more with some more diagnostic oriented and, and really get to that point of breakdown. And for the kids who are behind, we have set up a schedule and a structure that the kids who are furthest behind get the most direct and explicit instruction. And for kids who are on grade level, our core instruction, because we know we have good materials and we know we have good instructional practices, our core instruction is enough. They don't need more additional small group targeted instruction because you're getting it in the whole group. Um, and that's a bit of a shift sometimes for folks who are used to everything small group for all right. the kids. I can do a little mini lesson with everyone and then everyone's in small group. And the reality is that's, it's, it's not that that's a bad way to teach kids. It's not very efficient for right. us. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and when we get kids who are behind, we need to be super efficient because they need more of our time, expertise and attention to get them to where they need to be and close those gaps, get them that catch up growth. Right. Um, and that's that model and system. And it's very much data driven. But teachers are using more the student level data around which five kids need this specific work, whereas these four kids need this and everyone else is in pretty good shape, right? We're going to continue to march forward with everything else. So that's how we sort of manage it, but use data. And then we use it at the bigger picture level is 
is our curriculum effective exactly. across an entire yes. grade level by the bigger percentages, right? So, right. and they're all coming from, the data points are coming from the same assessments. We're just viewing the data from a different perspective. So. And I, I think that is so critical. So if anybody can walk away with anything, especially if it's a, a district administrator, or a building level um, administrator, as, as we think about assessments, understanding the purpose of them, right, and the, the different views, because you're right. If I'm a classroom teacher, I'm digging in. I want to know what do I need to do for these students. But as you said earlier, that anecdotal, you know, observation and the, the stories that we hear from teachers. No, my kids are readers. I can't tell you how many times I've worked with kids or, you know, parents that are like, oh no, even teachers. Oh, these kids can read. And it's like, but can they, right? Especially in kindergarten and first grade, they can be really, really tricky. So they might look like readers, but can they read those nonsense words? That's a really high indicator, obviously, of I actually have that sound yep. spelling course, but I know how to decode. I know how to blend versus I've memorized a whole lot of words. So sometimes when we're living in our space, right, we're just looking at this year, what are my students leaving doing? Where yeah. you're taking that comprehensive approach of, okay, let's follow these students throughout the, you know, the several years, what is happening from kindergarten through fifth grade or beyond. And then in that classroom, really understanding the purpose of assessments, right? Yeah. I have, I've had that question often of, should we teach nonsense words? <laughs> it's no. like, no, <laughs> no, right? Like that's, that's to make sure that our students actually have the skills that they need to decode new and unknown words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so impactful. Yeah. Now, again, we could talk all day about the many, many different things. Well, more than a day, right? Really thinking about all of the things that you do and make sure the things that you have to set up and create um, to be successful with change. As you think about some of those challenges that have come across, do you want to speak to maybe some more common challenges that come into creating change and maybe some some things you've done to overcome those challenges? Yeah, we're, we're still, you know, I mean, this is, we've been working on this here in Pentucket. This is year six and, you know, five sort of all on of, of, of addressing it. And every year, little pieces, you know, um, and it's not just a foundational skill approach, you know, learning, teaching kids to read requires uh, them to be able to read more complex text. So, you know, making sure that we have high quality instructional materials for that, too. So we use Wit and Wisdom is, is our uh, piece that we use from kindergarten through grade eight um, that provides sort of the language side of that. Um, you know, our, our literacy coach and coordinator, uh, Jen Hogan, and I've been working on this for a number of years. And, and you know, moving a district away from a workshop model where people were trained in balanced literacy and some of these methods that, for the most part, weren't wasn't doing what they thought it was doing. Right? Um, it was well intended, and some of the things are are good. You know, we want kids in interesting books, and we want them to be motivated to read. But a lot of the approaches either weren't efficient enough or weren't accomplishing what we thought they were. Um, so, in doing that, I think we sort of came, you know, this like balanced literacy hangover, these residual practices that people like really had built into their systems that they just have a hard time understanding that that's not something you either should be doing or it's not really an efficient use of our time. Mm -hmm. uh, so helping people to understand some of those, but it is a lot of, um, you know, the, the, the what, the how, but the why at the center of it. Uh, so helping people to understand 
why don't we do this practice anymore? Rather than simply telling them, don't do that, right. do this instead, it's not always so black and white of do this, not that. Right. It is do this and because this is what it's actually doing. And we can talk about maybe what you used to do, but there there isn't always a direct stop, stop this, start that. Uh, it's a little more nuanced. It's more yes. complex. So understanding where those nuances are and having those conversations through professional development. I, I think we were talking before we get started here. We have an early release day today. So uh, Jen will be working with our grades three, four, five, and six teachers on some of that. And I actually will be working with our K-2 staff on math PD. And then in October, we'll flip, right? right? So we try to use that time to have responsive PD to what we're seeing and what folks need. But our PD is very much based in using our curriculum tools rather than things in isolation. Yeah. The more coordinated we can be around that, uh, the better we are. So. Yeah, and I think that's so powerful. And I sharing again that why I think is so powerful. And I love how you just said it's not, you know, it's not don't do this, do this. I think that's really important, right? If we are making this shift, nobody's saying we don't want kids to love books. <laughs> we absolutely want them to get the joy out yeah. of reading, right? It's not like if I'm not yeah. doing workshop model, that means I don't think we should read for enjoyment. It's like, no, yeah. we just want the, want to teach them to read the words, right? <laughs> I had a phone call this morning. Uh, we I spoke with a parent this morning who called me to tell me, um, that their son is in fourth grade, uh, learning about the circulatory system in English class because the, the wit and wisdom, the first one is, um, about figurative and literal, um, having heart. What does it mean to have heart? Uh, and, and it's a great sort of first module and the son is completely immersed in thinking about, um, the circulatory system but also the parent knows where it's going with figurative heart too. Right. And just the father was so thrilled uh, because the father said, can I come and teach CPR to the kids so that we can connect it all? And I'm like, we'll make that work. Absolutely. You yeah, know, so, that, um, yeah. yeah, that is yeah. so wonderful. And the kid goes home and talks about all the books that they're reading and they love having a conversation. So there's a lot of joy happening for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. And that that's that end goal, right? That comprehensive picture, right? We, yeah. we absolutely yep. want students to love reading and to be able to read. Um, if you, and I know this might be a hard one, but if there is an administrator listening, if you can give them just one takeaway, they're getting started, they're making the shift, they're recognizing this change needs to be made. What's one piece of advice that you can give them to get the process started? You know, I, I, number one, I think it, they have to know this is a long-term goal, right? This takes multiple years to make changes. Um, but you also have to know where you're starting at. Every district is, every building is going to be at a different starting point. And really the, the piece to leverage that is, is what is the data telling you about where your starting point is? Uh, and that's going to help drive the need of, of why we need to change. Um, and I think that's really the critical piece for folks to understand is it, you know, even if it's 75% of the kids are doing pretty well, well, it's the 25%. Where's the breakdown for them? Um, you know, saying something like the science of reading is what we should be doing, but why? What is it about your building um, that means that's effective? Um, and making it a little bit more tangible and real for the people in your building. Yes. And I love, and I, I know you said this earlier, being informed, right? But, but not so informed that you have to go teach the lesson, but really knowing enough yep. information and enough having the knowledge to know what that data is telling you and yeah. what those those yeah. need to be. Yeah. 
I mean, a, a principal does not need to go and get their Orton Gillingham license to go teach structured literacy to to struggling readers. That's not their purpose. But to understand what that means and how that might get incorporated into your approach, um, and it's just there's no one single solution either. Know that you're you know you're going to have multiple things you're going to need to address, but it might have to be it's going to take multiple years to to build it, but use the data to create that sense of urgency for everyone. Again, it's it's like long term, but everyone's got to have a sense of urgency to make the change at the same time. Um, and I think that's really important using data uh, from that perspective to create your own why um, and know that like we can do this. Um, we, we can make this better for kids uh, and leveraging that. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be a lifelong catch-up process for kids, that we can close those gaps really quickly, and people, including the adults, can feel really positive about the great work you're doing for kids. I love that. I cannot thank you enough for being a guest today. I always love, as I said, chatting with you and learning from you, and I'm so grateful that our listeners get, get to learn from you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brent. Thank you, Marjorie. As always, uh, enjoy talking with you too. So, Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our upcoming episodes where we explore literacy topics in a snack-sized, easily digestible format.